that's when I realized the person I trusted to build my business, and I was actually in discussion with him to become the CEO because I didn't want to get too involved in IBC, has just walked away and taken clients with him. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by Women Building Wealth Membership Group, the complete proven step-by-step course to guide women from novice to confident investor. To learn more, go to womenbuildingwealth.net. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Mario Knopfel. Mario, are you ready to rock? Always ready, especially, and I'm not being cheesy, especially when it's about mitigating risk. It's <laughs> crucial, crucial. Amen. And, and that is definitely <laughs> the most important thing. Well, let me tell the audience a little bit about you. Mario is the founder of the Athena Group of Companies, a business conglomerate that operates in more than 40 countries. He started in 2012 with 300 bucks in the bank, selling blenders door to door. And he built that into a business that generated $10 million in its second year. Next, he built global brand status with Optimum Appliances, a brand he created from scratch. After that, he established a range of brands in niches like personal mobility, fitness, and e-cigarettes. In 2016, he started Go Global, an incubator, which sits at the heart of the Athena group of companies. In 2017, I know listeners, you're probably tired already, but it goes on. In 2017, he established International Blockchain Consulting, a network of experts in over 40 countries and has risen in less than a year to become the established industry authority in the rapidly growing blockchain and crypto space. After the success of IBC, Mario launched IBI Ventures, a VC fund, IBA, which is a blockchain accounting software, IGC, which is cannabis and hemp consulting. And in 2019, he has launched a new company named Zents, which provides entrepreneurs insight in how to launch a successful business with a limited budget. Listen up, folks, you want to get to know him. Currently, he has created the seven-figure Launchpad, the world's first and only full-access business program. So, Mario, take a minute and fill in a further tidbits about your life. I'm obsessed in working, and not obsessed in a bad way. I just love working, but I'm also obsessed, in also a good way, in dancing. Everywhere I go, I dance. I'm actually in Dubai, not for business. I had a few business meetings, but just to dance Latin. I love dancing Latin anywhere I go. So business, Latin, that's pretty much me. I'm not that complicated. And when you go to different cities, have you, you already know the clubs that you like to go to or are you exploring finding new places in new cities or what is it like? They've always got their community when it comes to Latin dancing, salsa, bachata. So it's about finding someone in that community and then they'll connect you to everyone. In Dubai, you know, I have someone that usually helps me find those people and they add me to a group. And then three days every night, I'm going out dancing. So I'll try to dance seven nights a week. And how did you get started in dancing? It started before I started my business. So I started it a long time ago when I was 21, 22. And I loved it. But then I got into business. So I took a break for five years. I took a break on dancing, life in general. I did nothing but work. And then once I built my business over four years time, let's say, then I started traveling and I slowly got back into dancing. So for the last three years, it's the way I deal with stress. It's, it's 
incredible hobby to have. That's great. Well, I, I admire that. I find that I tend to go to bed just about the time that the dancing places start hopping. So True, I, like you, start, <laughs> you go to bed about, what, what time do you go to bed approximately? Well, let's say about nine. <laughs> so nine is when you start getting ready and then 10, 30, 11 is the best time to go to those nights. Yeah, so that's my only drawback. So, but I did find, you know, an over 60s dance place that I took my 81-year-old mother to. She and I went <laughs> to that and we, that happened from 1 p.m. until 4 p.m., which we enjoyed attending. <laughs> nice. All right, well, let's get into it. It's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a little bit about the circumstances leading up to us and then tell us your story. Mm. So my biggest business at the time, that was in 2017, so two years ago, was Fruity. So Fruity was an e-commerce business and that was my expertise. If When you went through all my companies, you can see the first few companies were all in e-commerce. That was my specialty. But I was really interested in blockchain as a technology. I've been looking at it for a while. And I started getting involved. So I had free time. I was traveling around Europe. And I started learning about the industry. So every day I would wake up in the morning and my assistant would just schedule calls from morning till night. That's it. Day in, day out. And I'd be walking in the city center in Slovenia, talking to people and learning about the space, building connections. So one tip for anyone doing business is, Jump in head first and try to make as many, learn as much as you can when you're getting into an industry. And that's what I did. And one of those people was Mr. M. Let's call him Mr. M. So he's one of those people that I started working with. I had that initial call with, along with another gentleman. And they helped me start IBC. So IBC was nothing. It didn't exist. I had no knowledge about blockchain. I'm not a developer. I still can't write one, a quarter of a line of code. Nothing. But I know how to scale a company, build systems, get the right people around me, manage team members, and grow a company. That's what I know how to do. But I need the experts by my side. So the circumstances where my business was okay, Fruity took a hit though. It was dealing with a legal case, a supplier screwed it. And... IBC was my next venture, but I had to do it in a very strategic way where I couldn't put in a lot of money. So I had those people working with me to build the business and it started out well. They built the company. I was learning as I go and pivoting to the opportunities as any entrepreneur does. And then I know how to scale companies. That's my expertise. So when it started working, you know, those pebbles started to hit. You test different things. They work. I started doubling down. And that's one of my strengths. And it worked really well. IBC scaled to seven figures in less than six months. So everything is going good. But I forgot one of my main weaknesses, due diligence. I, I trust people too easily. So throughout that process, as I was scaling the company, Mr. M, who I, who I trusted on a personal level, was a good connection, started funneling clients out of the company. Now, I had no idea. Now, everything's going well. Actually, I'll tell you how I found out. Maybe that you'll, you'll be in my mm -hmm. shoes. Everything was going well. The company was going well. The company was scaling. There was a few issues on delivery, but I had to get involved. It's, so basic business scaling issues. And then at the end of 2018, suddenly Mr. M disappeared. So initially he was in hospital for a week. So I was really worried. I sent messages to everyone, send him well wishes. 
And then he just disappeared. And I, I had no idea what's happening. And then our biggest client, who was supposedly, who actually made us a payment, but it bounced back, some banking issue. They're making the payment again, a pretty large sum, high six figures. They also stopped being responsive. It did not cross my mind that something's going on there. I just said it's impossible. Even though I had the alarm bell, some people warned me. I said, it's no way that person that I speak to on a regular basis, used to be on a daily basis, was there from the early days, would do anything. He just, he, he's also a really good salesperson. And then when he completely disappeared, it slowly started making sense. Like, where is he? And I started sending messages. Don't worry about what you did. I don't know what you did. I'll forgive you. It doesn't matter, man. You know, everyone makes mistakes. Chasing money, it's okay. And they're being ignored constantly. I know they're being read by ignored. They're WhatsApp messages. And it was a really stressful period because the biggest client was not responding. Other clients he was close to were suddenly concerned. And I, had, you know, I didn't know what was happening. And then later it started making sense that he, he screwed me. So he's been screwing me for a while. And, and later I found out it's been going on for a long time. But he disappeared. He painted a negative picture about me to everyone. He spoke, he's been speaking very negatively about me to clients, to team members, to other partners we have. And I didn't have a personal brand. I didn't have LinkedIn. Now I've got LinkedIn with 8,000 followers. I didn't even have a LinkedIn account a year ago. Didn't have Instagram, didn't have Facebook because I didn't care for that. I care more about building businesses. And that's what triggered my personal branding. So that's when I realized the person I trusted to build my business, and I was actually in discussion with him to become the CEO because I didn't want to get too involved in IBC, has just walked away and taken clients with him. And then it gets bleaker. So I thought that was it. I'm like, all right, let's bounce back. I got my team members, my COO, my team manager from other companies to come in. Guys, we need to clean things up. IBC has just been screwed. We lost our biggest client who's supposed to pay us. And then we had to take drastic measures because it was a, a really well-planned attack or screw-up. So we had to cut down the company really quickly. The industry was also going through a rough period. So the industry collapsed in that same month. It's probably why he freaked out and he went in his own way. So the industry was collapsing. Other businesses laid off over 90% of their team members naturally. And that's, but we were ready for that, Andrew. We were ready mm -hmm. to do that, but we were not ready for the scam. So here we are, six figures in the red because payments that were meant to come in, that's one payment probably seven figures in the red and the key team members just disappeared and we don't know how much damage was caused. So we started rebuilding things. I got my team members riled up, see who I can trust, who I cannot. And now we started calling customers again, telling them the story. And then throughout that process, there was one person, let's call him Mr. B for Bob. Let's call him Bob. So what Bob was doing then was he was the one scheduling all the calls with the key clients before closing. So he's the last point, just a VA, an assistant, organizing those calls. And he was so supportive, Andrew. That's the part that hurts the most. We'll do this, Mario. Forget about the pain you've gone through. Forget about Mr. M. He's a, he's a snake. He used those words. He's a snake. You know, we're family. We're close to each other. And I remember one day he called me, started saying those things. We're family. I'll be there for, you know, until we get through this. We'll do it together. And by then, I started filming myself. I started vlogging as a response to the scam. That was about two months or three months after finding out about the scam. So I go to the camera and I say, that's the reason I fight those things. That's the reason that I wake up in the morning and I can still go through the day, rebuild the company after what happened, what 
no one could even anticipate. It was so, so ugly. And then that same day I find out, someone tells me that that person is still funneling things out of the company to Mr. M because he's been a childhood friend with Mr. M. And not doing it in a normal way. I should make a movie. Apparently, because we use a screen recorder. So we, they can't do it. They can't take screenshots. They can't export the data from Pipe Drive because we will know. So he's wearing a GoPro and working and filming <laughs> everything <laughs> as he was working. And we were about to close clients, but none of them are closing. Like something is going on. Like all these clients, that they know me. I've spoken to them. They're not closing. Turns out in the background, Mr. B or Bob is just talking, you know, funneling them to the other company and then starting to persuade them the other way. And while we're trying to recover, we're actually losing more clients. It was such a stab in the heart. So I immediately let him go and then kind of became paranoid. That hit me. When it was on Mr. M, I thought I'd get over it. But when I found out it's Bob and then more people started coming forward and telling me how much damage was done, how many people were misled, because no one even knew I was a CEO of the company. I was always behind the scenes. And how deep the damage was. It, it was, you know, the knife was just twisting and twisting. It was not easy. In that same month, I was diagnosed with a tumor, non-cancerous, not serious. But a tumor in the head that same month diagnosed. I didn't know it was not serious. Initially, they thought I needed immediate surgery because I was bleeding. So in that same month, I was screwed in that sense. And I had that tumor uh, diagnosis. And my other company, the e-commerce one, was dealing through the legal crisis, the legal issue where one of the suppliers breached their agreement, a patent case, whatever. That was pretty serious as well. So it was a really, really tough period that I managed to, it's a happy ending. I managed to bounce back. IBC, the company that was screwed by Mr. M and Bob is stronger than ever. I kind of took a stoic mindset to everything where the obstacle became the way. So I took that and said, what can I make out of this? How can I turn this into something positive? So I started personal branding because of that issue. And that turned out really well. It's, it's bringing me a lot of value. I'm doing podcasts like this a lot more open than I was. And, you know, the legal case in my e-commerce business is being settled. So we're getting some money back there. And there's a legal case against Mr. M, Bob, and the client. And, and funny let enough... Me, let me ask you, when, when you got rid of Bob, was that pretty much the end? And then your sales efforts would start bearing fruit? Is that how it got yourself out? That's when the recovery started. So that was the last rotten apple. And then everyone became paranoid. So then now we're very paranoid about anyone that we bring in. But that was the end of it, really. And I just kind of put it behind me. Yeah. And one funny thing, though, the big client that kind of went ahead with Mr. M and, you know, they were part of the whole thing they were meant to pay us. Their CEO actually applied a week ago to be employed by IBC. He wanted to leave that company. So the ending is getting happier and happier. And when that legal case settles, it'll be the happiest part. Mm, okay. So what lessons did you learn from this? You know, people would say, I can be dramatic and say, don't trust anyone. You know, people are greedy, but that's not being logical. If something's happened to me, if, if you get into a car accident, it doesn't mean you should never get in a car. If you were part of a plane crash and you were injured, it doesn't mean planes are all bad. If I was screwed by one person, it doesn't mean everyone is going to screw you. However, it's always a balance. You don't have to be binary, but it's a balance. It's about doing proper due diligence. Hiring is the heart of any business, whether you're an investment bank or you're a restaurant or a cafe with waiters that need, or chefs that need to cook the food right. The people you hire will make or break you. It's that simple. The time you take to hire someone, the due diligence you make will reduce the role luck has to play. 
The less due diligence, the more you have to rely on luck that you hired the right person. The more due diligence, the more likely that luck doesn't play a big role because you've done the work to make sure it's the right person. And those people will build your business. They will build your business. So not hiring the wrong, per hiring the wrong people could literally lead to a failure in business. And all the investors talk about the team. They look at the team more than the ID, more than anything. So that, mm. that should And, and one, one question about that is that prior to that, you know, you had had success in building your other businesses. Had it been that you just, you know, you just had a good streak of good people or had you done due diligence in the past, but then you didn't do it here? Like lead us up to where you ended up in this case. Or was it that, look, this is so far out of my area of expertise. I have to find somebody now and trust them. Actually, the last point you made is really good because that was completely outside my area of expertise. So I was not in a position to do proper due diligence. And like, I don't know what questions to ask. It was mm. just about trusting the person. And you have to also understand that, you know, they played, Mr. M, despite everything he's done to me, I still tell my team, he played a role in building the company. He did a lot of bad things and, he, you know, oversold clients, harmed clients, et cetera. But he was there since the early days. So maybe, maybe I did it right. I just shouldn't have trusted him as much. Maybe that could be another lesson that like when you trust someone, either do due diligence, a lot of due diligence before trusting them. Just don't trust blindly. So either you do a lot of due diligence, but if you can't do that, if you're, you know, you're just a startup, you don't have money and you need someone to come join you and you're lucky to have someone join you without actually wanting to get paid, you're not going to sit there, okay, you know, I spoke to 100 people, you're the only person that said yes, but I want to do more, like, give me references. You're probably not in that position as a, as a startup entrepreneur. So what you should do is, you know, work with them, but be careful. And when you're in a position that the company's grown, you're making revenue, that's when I should have done due diligence. But that person, I've just given him too much freedom. Now we have systems. You ask what we learned. Now we've got systems and I don't hire. I'm not good at interviewing. I don't hire. That's my weakness. So I've got people that HR team that will ask the questions. They won't call references. They'll ask people for their references and then they'll call the people that were not given as a reference. Why were they not given as a reference? What are they trying to hide? Because references are obviously going to be good. So those things um, are what the HR team does, looking at LinkedIn, looking at case studies, et cetera. Mm. Um, so I've learned my lesson now. Got it. Okay. So let me uh, go over some takeaways that I get from your story. One of the lessons is when it rains, it pours. Like you talked about the tumor coming in and it's like, right, you know, your one business is fighting a lawsuit. Then you've got this struggle with trust with this Mr. M. And then all of a sudden you get a physical thing. I think this is something that I want to highlight because I think most young people, when they go into business of being an entrepreneur, they don't realize like it is your complete life. And a physical issue that you may face can actually throw something, you know, out of whack. So I think that, you know, to be an entrepreneur, you've got to have the endurance and the relentless pursuit in you. And that's a critical thing that I think it's very, nobody's going to predict that or say that, but be prepared. When it rains, it pours and you've got to push through it. The second thing that I take away from it is the concept that trust can only be built by time. There is no way to accelerate the trust, trust between two people except through time. 
Now, there are some shortcuts by trying to find other people you trust. So a good example is my professor for my PhD when I did that in China, Dr. Liu Wei. He and I built a relationship of trust over years as we worked together on my research. So when he recommends me to another person in China, that person can rely on the trust they have of him. But still, that trust is not enough. I would have to then work with that group, you know, to build the trust between the two. So I think that it's something that is really uh, critical. And I've identified six main common mistakes through all the interviews. And I would say, uh, in this case, we're talking about mistake number two, which is fail to properly assess and manage risk. Because ultimately, it was the risk that did you in, not the success. In fact, the story of the return actually sounds like it was pretty good. The second thing is uh, item number four, which is misplaced trust. You're not the only one. We're all struggling with who can we, I need when you, when, particularly when you need somebody bad. You know, if you've got 10 salespeople and you're just adding one more, the trust is just not such an issue. You can put them in that situation and then see how they work out. But when you're in a situation where you really need this person to be right, that's where it's, you know, the trust part is the most difficult. So those are some of my takeaways from, is there anything you'd add to that? The first point you've made is so important. All else being equal, you have two entrepreneurs. They're both just as intelligent. They've got all the same resources, similar team members and skills. All else being equal, who will succeed? It's the one that will be getting up every time they're beating down because the one that stays down will lose out. It's really that simple. I had my general manager ask me, he said, Mario, you know, we've been through this. We've had other issues. That those year and a half has been nightmare. If we, I can, li- I can make a list of things we've gone through that were so hard to predict, if not impossible. And the worst thing that went that I went through in that in those three months, I didn't even mention. It's a personal matter. So it's been a really, really tough few months. And he asked me, he said, Mario, I want to understand like everything we've been through. I think what drives everyone, and I'm not going to take the credit, but I'm just there's an important lesson here. What drives everyone is the fact that every single day we get on a call, we're talking strategy, we're talking about right, what are we going to do now? What are we going to? I've never had one day where I sat there depressed, where I skipped a day's work. And then I said, Mario, how do you do it? Like, why? How, what gets you to do it? And it was a very interesting question because I never thought of it. But then the answer was, you know, I don't have a choice. And as an entrepreneur, if you want to reach your goal, you don't have a choice than to get up every time you're beaten down. And you will be beaten down. There's something I found in common because I listen to podcasts all the time. I'm not alone. So anyone else that's going through issues, you're not alone. Pretty much all entrepreneurs have, all self-made successful people have. And it's definitely been my story for the past two years. So we're going to move towards wrapping this up, but I just want to speak to the audience for a moment. For those people who are out there, you know, in the middle of the problems and issues and challenges that you're facing, it's important to know that you're not alone. As Mario has said, you're not alone. Other people have been through similar types of things. Your situation is unique. But the most important thing is you've got to also make a decision at some point. Do I want to continue with this business, with this idea? And We had a decision point many years ago with one of my businesses, a coffee factory that we built in Thailand that my best friend Dale ran it, you know, and I, we co-invested in it and we've run it now for almost 25 years. 
But when it was really hard after the 1997 Asian crisis and, and we were living in the factory because we didn't have, you know, the resources to keep it alive except just keep it alive, you know, and barely alive at that time. We had to ask the question, is this a business that we want to be in? And is this a business that can work? And what we came up with in that time was, this is a coffee business. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. We can do this. And we're passionate about doing it. Once that decision's made, then what we did is we never went back to that question again. We just took the next right step each day. And I, I oftentimes explain that there are some times in entrepreneurship where you're stuck. You can't go back and you can't go forward. In our case, we couldn't go back because we couldn't sell the equipment we, we, we imported to roast coffee and all that because there was nobody buying. And even if they were going to buy it, they were going to buy it at 20 cents on the dollar or whatever. So we really couldn't go back. And then we couldn't go forward because we just we didn't have the budget to hire the salespeople. Plus, the companies weren't buying at that time because it was right after a major crisis. And that's a time, it's a little bit like boxing. There are some rounds where you've just got to cover up and make sure that you don't get knocked out. And so for all the listeners out there that are going through those types of struggles, just first of all, make your decision that you're going to stay in the game that you're in. If you've made that decision, then be relentless, get up every day, do the best that you can and stay positive. And that is why entrepreneurs change the world. Right on. I cannot agree more. It's like, Every time you get beaten down, be patient and take one step every day. But you also mentioned something important. If you make the decision to stick with it, because you have to weigh the options. There are times where you sit in, you know, you don't get people on, on podcasts that, that had failures and they still haven't succeeded because they're sticking in the same thing that hasn't worked for five years. So it's not a science. There are times when you need to pivot and there's a lot of indicators you should watch out for. But if you decide to persist, for six months, 12 months, two years, have a timeline and just get up every day, take one step forward and eventually it will all add up. Fantastic. All right. Well, based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, which you are learning every single day, we can see that. What one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Think about the moment that you met Mr. M, the situation that you were in what your goals were and think about that man or woman out there who's right at that point right now. What would you advise them to do? What one thing? I don't think I would recommend anyone to do anything different than what I did in the early stages. Now, sometimes you could do everything right and it just leads towards a path you would never expect. So in the early stages, when IBC was non-existent, it was just started out going ahead with Mr. M and others was the right decision because there's nothing to lose. But when the money starts coming in, when there's a lot of money at stake, just understand that even if it's someone you trust, even if it's a good person, anyone listening would put their family ahead of anyone else in business. So just remember this, that even if Mr. M screwed me and did it in a very ugly way, there may be another side to that coin. Maybe he had pay for surgery for his sister or something. Maybe not. Maybe it's just greedy. Mm -hmm. So keep that in mind when there's a lot of money at stake. When you get to that level, so if you're an investor or you've, you've got successful companies, be very, very careful the people that are making the decisions with that money because their incentives may not be aligned with yours. 
Great, great advice. I think it definitely is part of what's critical out there is cash. When cash is coming into the business, even good people can be tempted. And so that level of diligence of reconciling and making sure where the cash is, is definitely an important part. Because as you say, you know, people can be going through struggles and they can justify, I'm just going to take a little bit out of this because I'm going to pay it back. And the next thing you know, the cash dries up. Yeah, and, I, and I'm sure Mr. M has a story in his head that he's constructed that allowed him to do what he did without having any remorse potentially. So he's got his own story that, yeah, I did this because X, Y, Z, because Mario's got other successful businesses. He'll be okay, but I don't. I have nothing else. Or I have played a big role in building the business. Could be any story you constructed. Greed is very powerful, and people will come up with stories to justify doing the wrong thing when it comes to money. Yep. Greed is a very strong bias. Okay, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Find people again to run my various companies the right people. So I want more partnerships. I love building new businesses. My response to this is not sit down like a hermit and do everything myself because I don't want to be scammed again. No, these things will happen. They're part of business. Look at it logically. Find other partners, do proper due diligence and keep building companies. And my focus right now is on IBC, which is helping businesses raise capital. That's all we do in the blockchain space. So I'm just focusing on that, on that industry of fundraising, which I think has got a lot of opportunity. Fantastic. All right, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. And if you've got a story, let me know. Maybe we can get you on the show. As we end, Mario, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, but our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Everyone will lose. Anyone listening to this, you will lose. The way you respond to that loss will determine what happens next. Oh, yeah. I think that's great advice. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, I'll see you on the upside.